My name is Julian, and this is the Sales Fix Podcast. It's you, the salespeople across the world that make the world a better place. You've brought down prices, you've increased quality, you've caused the guarantee, the warranty, the return policy, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Discussions, interviews, sales quick tips. Everything to sharpen the saw and make you a better salesperson. Welcome to the Sales Fix Podcast. We're back for a roundtable episode. Good to see you. Good to be back with Steve. And I actually have to put, so for it to work, if it works better if I go Steve and Steven than if I go Steven and Steve, right? Steven, Steven. <laughs> so it's like even Steven, Steven squared, Steven, Steven, right? So back with the two Steves or the one Steve and the one Steven for uh, another chat. And, um, you know, I, when we were scheduling this, I threw out uh, an email or a text to you guys about the topic today. I'm hearing a lot of churn going on over the course of the last couple of weeks. Um, a lot of the boards and the discussions that I'm involved in are people trying to kind of grade or give an opinion as to what sales tools or tools to be used in sales are good or bad. And I definitely have some thoughts on that in terms of, you know, the tool and, and a bunch of other things. But um, specifically the, the three or four that I think we should discuss is, you know, um, automated email campaigns or email out campaigns, right? So um, you will call them spam or just, you know, non-specific individual customized messages. Um, that's a very long acronym for those. We need to come up with a great acronym <laughs> like SKIM or something like that. Um, and then uh, the other one that I see a lot now in the outreaches that come my way, I'm curious to how you guys feel about them, is the uh, Calendly or access to your calendar online type of stuff that people get sent out. Find that to be uh, an interesting one. And then, um, you know, data or marketing flyers, uh, informational flyers, that's always kind of a good recurring conversation to, to talk about. And I'll, I'll set up this. I mean, uh, some of the listeners uh, know me from the days or also follow the weekly email that I sent out on Wednesdays, what's called the weekly sales fix now, was in a previous life called the training tip of the hump day. And uh, just to give insight as to kind of where this conversation uh, came from or how that relates to it, the original spawning of that email was uh, Darren Schwartz, the SVP of sales at the time, approached me and said, hey, we have this you know, database of all these fantastic, fantastic marketing flyers and flyers and informational flyers. And I feel like our sales team doesn't use them at all. And we should get the sales team to use this stuff because it's great stuff. I see a lot of emails going out and people aren't referring to these things or using them. And what that turned into initially was a series of emails that would go out once a week where we would send, I would send out an email to the team and it would be like, hey, you may get it, this objection when you're pitching this kind of client. And if you do, here's kind of the objection you know, response, the data that's on your side. And conveniently, here's a link to a flyer that provides that data, right? And the idea was, let's not just send out the flyers, let's send out the flyers and let's give some people some insights on how best to use that information. Because if you just, you know, pummel your prospective clients with information, it's typically not a high success rate. And that email, when we ran, after we ran through, I think about 15 or 20 of those, it just became sort of a weekly sales tip a weekly email on how to be better at sales, which was highly relevant to the salespeople in the organization. Of course, you know I'm pretty sure HR and accounting uh, didn't didn't read them, which is usually why I made fun of HR and accounting in those emails uh, because yeah, it was safe. I'm, I'm pretty sure they weren't going to come back and tell me about it. So 
but that that was kind of the you know the original spawn point of this you know conversational topic for me is it's not just about you know what you have this marketing flyer or this calendar tool it's also about how you use it and there's a big difference between using things correctly and not using things correctly um Corda, we, you you had one what you know you you had a recent example that you shared with me that i think might be a great way to kick off the show so if you want to if you want to want to share that kind of story or that uh, that background on it, i think it'd be interesting was this the the team I was working with and the email blast? Yes, correct. Yes, and the open and the effect on the open rate and those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was um, they had been this this group had been sending out an email. They and they even call it an email blast. And you do get there is a way to personalize it. It is it is a subscription rate. People have joined up to get this email, or they have joined up for emails, and it went out every other Wednesday. And then I had them make it. And the and the interesting thing too is that there's I mean it's it's an anxious time, and so there's all this kind of anxiety and I need to do more. What can I do? I've got all these channels and uh, this particular company has a board of directors, so the um, that that's very involved. And so the the general manager was um, I need to show the board of directors that we're doing things that our marketing is doing things that we can track, you know, and so. It went to uh, an email a week, and it stayed within the guidelines of that Wednesday. But then the team got kind of excited about it, and there's a there's a person who hadn't done much social media before, was kind of new to marketing, and then there was a person who was coming from consulting and freelancing, and I'm sure they still freelance, and that's their wheelhouse. So you've got two for very good reasons. You've got one person who they've started putting out every time there was a sale or an interesting outreach effort, they would, they'd be a Tuesday and a Thursday and, and you never quite knew the schedule. And, and one thing, and I, and I kind of let it, let it go. I let it, you know, I, I said, Hey, the agreement with the, with the audience was Wednesday and it was tied in with these particular um, promotions, we'll call them. And so to cl- clarifying question real quick before you move on, was this something where people had signed up for this email on its own or they had signed up for another service or bought another product and then been auto enrolled into that email or had the negative option of not enrolling in that email? If they didn't there was, yes, it was. There was a will. Would you like to receive emails from? OK, us? so it was a positive. It, was a, it wasn't a click here if you don't want to receive emails from us. It was a exactly. click here if you do want to receive emails. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Yep, yep. It, it was an initiatory process. And yeah, but there was. Would you like to receive emails? This company is, uh, they are, they will go overboard for integrity and to not harass people, although not in the situation I'm describing. It just, now you're getting four emails. And, you know, you're getting, you're getting two emails a week, four emails in the time in which you used to get two and eight. And, and there was even more. Let's do this on a Saturday. They need, and, and it, we lost sight of what's, are we sending this because we want to? And the reality was one person was just having fun and likes to see it, you know, I'm doing this thing and I'm writing it and it's, I feel productive. And the other person, that is their wheelhouse. So yeah, definitely let's do this. And the quality of the emails improved, the presentation of the emails improved, the open rate started going down, Mm. the unsubscribe rate went up and there could be other factors, but this is the factor. So it's a matter of, we had permission, having permission to send an email, to give me an email. It's like having permission to go into your house. 
I've got permission to walk into your house. I don't have permission to strip to my underwear and sit down on your couch, put my feet up on your coffee table, which is kind of what we started doing. We were being, I, I suspect we were being a little obnoxious. Yeah. And I'm pulling the reins in now, but I wanted to have the, the data to, to substantiate. You know, I don't want to be the 50 year old who's like, I just feel like it's best if we keep, no, we promised, first of all, we, we made the promise and then we set up with our, with our with with what we did by tradition yep. Yep. it was every other wednesday we announced we want to be in better contact during covid this team and i yeah and we started and then there was no problem with more contact at that point it was the and also the type of contact yeah you have permission to tell me things that are interesting to me you have permission to come to my house keep all your clothes and your shoes on sit down with your feet on the floor and and bring something to my life Right. You don't have permission to be obnoxious and do things and, and push into my realm things that make you happy yeah. without necessarily worrying about if I'm happy with it. And them. very easy to mistake that discomfort with that email for discomfort in emails in general, right? A lot of people would say, oh, subscription rates are going down, you know, um, unsubscribes are going up. Clearly, email's dead, right? You would hear it. And, and, but then yeah. there's obviously the counter side of the story. Davis, how do, you, how do you relate to that in terms of the emails that you get and what you read and what you don't read and what you delete or what you unsubscribe to? Uh, you know, it's funny. I I look at just about every email that comes through. Um, you know, it's it, it comes through. It was sent to me. I want to understand if there's any relevance to it at all. And I get really, really annoyed when it. it first off, it's full of jargon. When when I read the email and I can't even understand what on earth this person is asking about, right? <laughs> Which happens more often than not. Um, and then I'll get the follow up. Hey, just following up on the email below. Here's my calendar link if you want to set up a time. Right. Right. I'll, I'll hit on that later. Yep. Um, you know, and, and and then to that same point, there's been newsletters or, or industry articles that I've signed up for proactively that, you know, have just the information sent to me. Um, and when that's done at a regular cadence, you know, I, I really enjoy it. I can file it away. I can come back and I can look at it. And then there's been some companies that I signed up and and within 24 hours, I've had eight emails from them of, right. of garbage and, and repetitive articles. Right. And, um, you know, used to work for a company that was heavily heavily reliant on outbound emails as a, a path to generate revenue. And it was really interesting understanding their perspective on that of we need to send this email or we can send a second one and maybe open rates, you know, drop a little bit, but unsubscribe rates aren't peaking and let's go ahead and do that. And well, can we get away with sending a third one and, uh, you know, giving consumers the opportunity to opt in or opt out, or maybe the content's different. And um, I think at the end of the day, uh, you know, yes, you have to give consumers the right to opt in to opt out um, but if you want to keep a consumer, whether it's a, a you know a marketing email, a content email, um, even if you're just reaching out to someone, it's got to stay relevant. And the moment that you lose relevancy and you start overdoing it, it turns into spam or worse. People just ignore it. You know, it'll go into a junk folder, go straight to a, a deleted folder, uh, and it just becomes white noise where it's it's, it's worthless. Yeah, re I think relevance is key, but there's also something to be said for like frequency. So there's a couple, I have an email account that I use um, when I'm asked to provide, you know, oh, you have to su supply an email to this and I can tell they're going to, they're going to send me stuff. I use that email account. Right. And um, had an interesting experience actually this morning where uh, my kid was playing football and during halftime I was browsing on my phone and I opened up that email account just to see what was in it. Right. And um, I had two very distinctly different experiences in the same like 
30-second interval, right, which is the first one I looked at the email and I was like, we'll call him Tom, right? This guy Tom had sent me probably 35 emails like in the last month, right, On, more than one a day almost. And I – and I, well, actually, that is more than one a day. Let's let's keep the math honest. Um, and I, I looked at that and went, wow, I've missed 30-plus emails from this guy. Right. And I don't have time to read these and they're backing up and there's too many of them and blah, blah, blah. And so I not only hit delete, but before I hit delete, I hit unsubscribe. Right. And then a couple steps below that, I ran into another email. And because it's a positive reference, I'll give credit where credit is due. I subscribe to an email from the Dave Ramsey website because he provides a lot of really, really cool advice. Right. And I didn't I didn't read all the last emails he sent me in the last month, but it was like four. Right. Or maybe five. And so I thought to myself, oh, I didn't get – so I skimmed those five subjects. I read one of them. I deleted the other four because the subject wasn't you know, particularly you – know, on, on Dave, Dave Ramsey's a financial guy, and yeah, I'm covered on the insurance piece. So I didn't read the insurance email. I was like, that's that. – but on this piece over here, oh, that is interesting. Let me, let me read what his analysis is on the economy right now and what, what all this stuff uh, what means. And I didn't unsubscribe. And really, both subjects were of equal importance to me. But it was interesting. What my why? Why is it that I reacted the same, di- completely differently to the same scenario? Which is, I'm looking at this quote unquote spam email account that I use for stuff that I yeah I'm not going to keep in with that. I want clogging up my regular email boxes, right? And one of them I looked at and went, yeah, I'm subscribed. I'm off of this list. And the other one I looked at it and went, no, this still provides value. And I think the frequency there had had a big element with why it was in it, right? I mean, to the point, it's like. I invited you over to my house for dinner, but if you show up 18 nights in a row, at some point, I'm going to say something, right? Regardless of whether you strip to your underwear and get on my couch, it's like at some point, it's going to be like, dude, right? This isn't a cafeteria. What's going on? So, And that's what it feels like that that level of intrusion. Email within itself is a perfect example. Email within itself is not a good or a bad tool. It's completely dependent on the usage. Um, but I also think it's about, you know, Corda, you hit on something when you said, it's 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 a it's about do we provide value? It's not are we sending this because we want to send it? Are we actually providing value? Because I will open up anything where the subject feels like it is highly relevant to what's going on right now. I'm like, yep, definitely want to watch that, right? Definitely want to see that, even if it's a attached video or or something like that. Outside of the pure style, we did an episode with Brian Grobstein where we talked about the pure, you know, the the, the like the actual writing tactic on what you want to put in email and everything. But outside of that, just the tool the frequency of how often you're sending them. What have you guys heard about data? Like it's better to send it on Wednesday. I mean, I picked Wednesday because I saw a Geico commercial with a camel in it that made me laugh. Right. I mean, that's, that's why I started sending out my email on Wednesdays. Um, you know, but there was really no other thought behind it than that. But I don't know. You're like, am I more likely to open it? I can understand how Saturday, Sunday, people aren't checking email as much because they're not at work. But outside of that obvious factor, I've seen research that contradicts each other in all different directions on time of day and all that other stuff. I, yeah, to, for me to jump in, um, you know, I've seen research on if you're reaching the C-suite, send it to them, you know, at 530 in the morning because no one else is reaching out that early. They're going to get up early. They're going to check their, their email or send it to them the night before, uh, send it to them right in the middle of the day when there's a lull. Find uh, Go research that same level uh, at your job, right? If it's the CTO, go research the, uh, the calendar of your CTO, find open spots in their calendar and, and send out emails or make phone calls. I, I, I don't buy a lot of that stuff. And we're on our phones 24 hours a day, including C-suite, including decision makers, um, including the weekends, right? If an email comes in over the weekend, I'm looking at it. It's on yeah. my phone. It's habitual. I get the ding and it's the it's the Pavlov experience, right? Yeah. It's, it's Unfortunately, it's where we're trained to go do now. 
Um, Especially it, with everybody working yeah. from home all of a sudden, right? Like now That's there's right. no boundaries whatsoever yeah. between work time and personal time, right? It's 11 o'clock at night. Oh, that email came in. I better look at what it is, right? Yeah. It, I think that, that to me, it goes back to the theme of, of relevance, value. Um, you know, does it does it ring, ring true? Does it strike a chord? It, we haven't gotten to this yet, but for me, um, even when there's something of interest, I hardly respond. Because I've got other things to do. I file it away. It's like, you know what, let me get back to that. And I, I you know, either mark it unread so I can come back to it or maybe put a note in my, in my day plan or whatever. And um, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm still not doing anything with it. And the folks that, that are able to um, engage with me are the ones that have the guts to pick up the phone and, and give me a call. They found my phone number. They said, hey, I, I just sent you this email. I, and they follow a really good 30-second commercial. They're trained well. And they, they just I sent you an email. Just a quick minute to, to introduce myself and to find a time where we can chat further. And you know what? It Maybe it's because I'm too close to it. I, I respect the sales process. If there's um, a product or service that is relevant to me or my company or that could be, I'll tend to engage with those. Uh, but I very, very rarely, um, when I get that email, respond in any capacity, even if it's the 18th email that I've, I've been sent. Yep. Corda? There's a temptation. And this is this is the... You hit on this, Davis. There was a. I'm. In, I'm trying to do this. Tell this without giving too much background. One of the one of the gigs I do. There are membership drives, and you have them twice a year. And during the drive, I just we. I, I will talk to people over and over and over and over. And I, it'll. I don't feel like I'm doing my job. Well, pre-COVID, until somebody says, "Hey, I've already talked to you about this." Oh, well, that's great. And then you kind of move them into some other. You know, got some reward things set up. I went up to a guy who I had, and I know I've talked to the minimum four times. And I said, hey, I know I've talked to you probably four times. Just going to give you a warning. Next month is the membership drive. I'm going to talk to you two or three more times. And he goes, I, 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 I signed up. I'm a member. <laughs> and, then, and then he repeated my pitch to me as why he was enjoying it, as though he were just thinking on the spot of why he was enjoying the membership. So... I repeated the message enough times that it apparently did not quite reach obnoxiousness. We could still laugh about it, but that he had become enrolled and he thought it was, he thought my pitch was his idea. And when you have that happen, the next thing you want to do is scale it. So I can understand the temptation to just blast all day long, all yeah. day long. Yeah. And even if it's a good even if there's a good impulse to it. I'm thinking about the beginning of COVID where there was kind of a series of memes going around where it's like, I'm glad the place I got a haircut at in a town I lived in five years ago sends me five updates a day on how they're responding to COVID. That makes me feel much safer. You know? Or a burrito I ate three months ago and I got 50 cents off. That's the only reason I signed up. Right. And, and Davis hits on another point. It's not only do people, it's permission marketing, but now that we're sitting here in our homes and working, I don't, I go to work every day. I'm lucky to have that sort of structure still. I mean, everybody works, but you, it's almost an obligation. The ding on the phone, the little red number on your email yep. is now an obligation beyond permission. So they are, you can feel them tugging away little bits of your time. And that is an annoyance if it's not done correctly. Yeah. So I understand the temptation, but I understand being on the other side where it can really damage that person's chance of ever having a sales relationship with me. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I mean, so the word sales relationship is interesting, right? Because sometimes I'm annoyed that they try to have a relationship with me beyond where we actually are, right? It's like, wait a minute, you're, you're, you know, now you're not just showing up. Now you're showing, now you're not just showing up to eat the food. Now you're showing up and you're starting to actually help prepare the meal in my kitchen and picking out the menu, right? That's it gets like it really intrusive. Like I didn't ask you to come over and cook me dinner, right? So now it's getting, and and uh, an example I'll use of that is. You know, salespeople have become obsessed with, and I, I say this just because in in in, rel, in uh, relativity to the number of outreaches that come my way on LinkedIn that finish with a below is a link to my calendar if you'd like to set an appointment, right? And it, it's an initial outreach, and it's like, oh, so you're so motivated to set an appointment with me that you're willing to let me do all the work to set an appointment on your calendar, right? That I mean, it's, I'm, it's almost, it almost pisses me off when I get those things. I mean, and again, people will say, well, did you hate the tool? I don't hate the tool at all. I just had a conversation with somebody the other day and we were, you know, we were talking about, we met at a networking event. We're talking about this. We're talking about that. And it was a virtual networking event, right? So nobody panic. I didn't get into a room with 500 people, um, <laughs> but it was a virtual networking event. And I, I met this guy at it. We had a good conversation at that event. And then he reached out to me on LinkedIn and we started talking about it. And he says, you know, I think it makes sense for us to chat. I've taken the liberty of adding a link to my calendar below. Pick any time that works for you. We'll make it work. And in that case, I didn't have the negative reaction at all that I have when I just get a message of here's my worthless product pitch. And by the way, go ahead and schedule yourself. And on some of them, it's like schedule yourself a 45-minute slot for a demo. I'm like, dude, like talk about moving to fourth date before we're even – I've even accepted a first date, right? I was just going to say that. Yeah, you, you have to have a relationship. I, I'm a big fan of tools like Calendly. Um, it makes uh, the facilitation of scheduling so much easier. When when you reach out to someone that, that – you know when you're engaging, whether it's a friend, whether it's a colleague – whether it's a, uh, a business relationship and the email exchanges, how does your week look next week? And someone says, well, I'm open on Tuesday. So well, uh, Tuesday doesn't work for me. What works for you? I mean, you waste you know, days in terms of, of scheduling that right. stuff and being able to right. say, hey, you know what? Here's my calendar. I'm, I'm busy Tuesday. Find another time that works for you. And I'm happy to, to, to make it happen. That's great. Yep. But on a first outreach it, it, or second, when there's no context, when there's no relationship, when it's all go. been email, yep. it, it, it just it falls. It fails. It just feels what it makes context. me feel like. It makes me feel like you're sending that same message to a couple hundred thousand people. And so there's no real research or, you know, there's no real qualifying that's happened on your end, right? You're just, I'm just, I'm, I'm one in the line of the many ducks that you're taking pot shots at, right? Think, think about your, your 30 second commercial and the structure that you, you recommend during a lot of your training, Julian, right? You got to qualify someone for time. Give them a good anchor statement of what's in it for me. Yep. Uh, and then at the end of the day, you know, your typical problems, to, you know, whatever, like your, your process that you go through that I've completely butchered it. But, but when you get into the presentation mode, you've got to determine a need. You've got to determine a fit. If there's a need, if there's an opportunity to sell somebody something, they're going to engage. And that happens early on in that, in that engagement as well. It's, yeah. it's got to work on email and it's got to work in, in terms of just initial outreach. Like I'm saying, it's, it's all about, like you said, it's all about context. You are not going to win the sword fight at the OK Corral. The, the tool of the sword is great. Alexander the Great conquered the world with that sword. He would not last 10 seconds in a horse corral in Tombstone, Arizona on the wrong day. Brought the wrong tool to the wrong fight. Right, right. 
Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I mean, the, the very simple analogy is a hammer is not a worthless tool. The fact that it's worthless if you're trying to br- put in a screw into a piece of wood does not make it a worthless tool. You're just not applying the right tool in the right scenario and, and everything. And I think that's where Calendly, you know, these things like Calendly – and like whose fault is that? Like I'll blame management for that because they'll supply tools to salespeople. Like right? they'll say, hey, here's 5,000 flyers with product information. Knock yourselves out. And untrained salespeople will take that and just start pummeling one of those flyers a day, every day for 5,000 days to their entire prospect list, who then starts unsubscribing and now blocking out the one message that actually might have resonated with them and might have made them go, oh, I didn't realize you guys did that. I do want to talk about that. Now that message is not getting through because they've they've turned up the blinders on everything because they were oversaturated. And it's like, hey, management, what did you expect to do? You just gave everybody 5,000 flyers and no instructions on how to use them. What did you think was going to happen? Yeah, I, I think that, that very much follows um, you know, the fault of management, the fault of, of marketing in that uh, either marketing or market research or management will, will uncover product positioning or interesting statistics or facts and figures that can really help a sales process. Yep. We send that information out to the sales team and say, hey, take a look at this, go use this in your sales pitch. And then a month goes by and we realize no one's using it because we, we pushed it once. We didn't reinforce that information. We didn't yep. help teach them how they can use it. Yep. We didn't work to listen to a phone call or sales presentation to see was there an opportunity to use that information or not. So instead we say, hey, here's a flyer, go send it to everybody. Right. And we just try and jam it down their throats, which is just, again, it's, it's not an effective method. Well, damage wise, that's the equivalent of Home Depot renting a van and going around the neighborhood and handing out chainsaws to six year olds and saying, knock yourself out, play with this for a while. Right. Of course, there's going to be some damage. Occasionally, every now and then, by pure happenstance, a, a kid's actually going to cut a tree that needed to be cut down. But for the most part, what we're going to find is all the fences in the neighborhood have been eliminated. Right. There's a couple of cats that have been sawed in half and a bunch of other things have happened that we didn't want to see. And it feels a lot like that's how tools are handed out. And then, of course, yeah, then management goes, well, wow, you know, what's what's going on? And then, ah, oh, email's burnt. I, I can't – how often I hear people yeah. tell me, ah, oh, email doesn't work anymore. Email doesn't work anymore. Well, it clearly still works because there's a lot of companies spending millions of dollars sending them out. So unless they're all complete morons, my guess is there's still at least some conversion right on it. There, there's still something that – so it works. So then, you know, the linear becomes let's figure out why it's working, why it's not working. And if that's time of day in your particular industry, that's great. But I mean, you know, to your point, Corda, when you came back and said, hey, we're losing subscribers and we're losing open rates, let's start figuring out why. We don't need to just react and say, I think it should go out every other Wednesday. You think it should go out every third Tuesday and you think it should go out every day. One of us is right and it's going to be not based on some archaic science or some universal conclusion that somebody is going to come to on our situation, our list and why they subscribe to it. Right. That's, that's, it's, it's going to be relevant to, to those facts. Um, what about dialers? I see a lot of company do dialers as well. I don't know if you guys have had any experience with companies that do, you know, sort of the automated dialer thing and, uh, and what that does to, uh, to a team. I've not used them for my sales teams in the past. Uh, we've provided resources for them to uh, queue up lists, dial faster, right? Move a little bit quicker through a, a, a prospecting list. Yep. I think salespeople, it, you know, the the idea behind a dialer is that you can increase efficiency. You can increase the number of sales phone calls or outreach attempts that someone's making by 10, 20, 30, 40, 50% or whatever, because as soon as you get off the phone, boom, you've got another call that's queued up. Yep. The fallacy of that as a salesperson 
you want to do a little bit of research. It's not always let's go as quick as we possibly can. If I'm reaching out to a business that um, that that fits the category of my product or service, I, I need to go to their website. I need to understand the decision process. I need to try and figure out what systems do they have? What can I find on LinkedIn? I, I, I guess the way that I tend to go about it, and maybe it's too archaic, is that's the basis of building a relationship. Can I find common interest, commonality? Can I find something at all to make um, to make myself a little bit more relevant when I when I reach out, whether that's email or phone call? And it, the other issue that I've got with dialers is, and again, this might be a little bit about a date, but um, there was always just this weird pause. The 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 phone would connect, you know. I'd say as as a as the recipient of someone that's that's getting yep. a call that's automated. Yeah. Hello, this is Stephen click boom and then someone's talking and it, it immediately I, I i hear it i know that it's it's a a, yep. a, a solicitor that okay my my defense mechanism is up yeah yeah fields up yeah exactly yeah yeah it, so it accentuates the uh what's interesting about that though is i remember when the companies first started having the legal requirement to tell customers that they were recording the call Right. And initially I thought, wow, that's really going to be a huge interrupter in the rhythm that we're trying to set up on the front end of a call. Right. Hey, Steve, this, I'm sorry to get you at a bad time. Right. My whole time qualifier is going to be off because I got to start by saying, hey, Steve, this is Julian from XYZ on a recorded line for quality assurance. Right. And uh, yeah. we, we actually did a lot of A-B testing at one company that I was working with when this was happening. We tested a whole bunch of different scripts. And what we actually found was the more confusing the script was, the better it was because it created like – so if we just said, hey, we're calling from XYZ Corporation and just so you know, this call is being recorded and the reason we record it is because blah, 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 but we have to let you know that we're recording the call. So that brought up a lot of defense mechanisms. Why are you calling me? Blah, blah, blah. But if the sales reps would eat that up in a mouthful and make it sound you know, not if I, hey, Hey, this is uh, Bob, Bob. I'm calling with XYZ Corporation. This is this uh, recorded call for quality assurance and marketing purposes. Uh, real quick, and it, people will be like, "Wait, you're calling from who? What for? What? What's being recorded?" Like it created an element of, and and the cool thing about that is the prospects were leaning in with a question almost immediately, like, which is, "Wait, what's going on?" Right? And so the reset that we were able to go from that was like, "Well, tell you what." Is is this a bad time or do you have like 60 seconds and I'll explain why I'm calling? And a lot of them would almost like love that lifeline because they felt like they just got thrown into the pool and all of a sudden somebody hands them a lifeline and says it's just one minute and they were like, oh, I'll take the minute all day long, right? I don't – that's probably worn off. This is when that, that uh, requirement, that legal disclaimer was first being rolled out and it was still quite confusing on the phone. I think now probably people are more um, – well, I would say people. Some companies I should specify – uh, are, are, are more comfortable with the overall process. Cause I still hear people fumble through that line on occasion when they, you know, when they, when they cold call, call me at the house, we, we have a landline at the house. The only reason we have it is, um, I think because it reduces my cable and internet bill by like 20% to have uh, what they call the trifecta, right. To have all three of them. And, and I You're think, bundled. yeah, it's bundled. And I think also we have it because at some point we had a fax line, which of course we don't anymore. Right. Um, but, but the really interesting thing about that landline is I'm the only one who ever answers it because since I don't give out the number to anybody, it's 100% sure that anybody that's calling me on that line is trying to sell me something. So if I'm a little bored at home, I'll start taking calls on that line just to see, hey, what, let's find out what the salespeople are saying on the phone nowadays, right? To just hear what their new versions of their scripts are. And it's it's terrible. Usually it's really, really bad. It, it actually is a way of identifying prospective companies for me because the worse it is, the more likely I'm called. I'm likely 
likely to call their VP of sales and say, your outreach is terrible. You need help. <laughs> you know, I don't, oh, I don't theorize this. Right. Say again. You're, you're prospecting. Yeah. 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 I mean, I use it as a prospect. I've actually, you know, had one, I've told the story, I think to both of you guys on, on some other point, but I had one company that I was an actual client of, it's a landscape services company and I'm an actual client of them and they call me to market, market their bush maintenance service, right? There's hey, you, every, every, you know, twice a year, got to treat your bushes with blah, 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 which is a fantastic idea, except that there are no bushes on my property. And that you would think the people who take care of my landscaping would know that there's no bushes on my property would not just call everybody down their list and try to sell them, you know, the the bush maintenance, you know, program. It's like, what are you, are you trying to tell me something? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, what are you I, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's relevant, but similar story. I uh, I moved to a different state several years ago, and I wanted to continue to watch my local football team. And so I signed up for one of uh, the dish providers that gives you access to oh, yeah, watching yeah, yeah. football games yep. on a market. Right? Yeah. And you can say Seahawks. It's okay, Davis. You can admit yeah, you're right. a Seahawks yeah. fan. You're not going to yeah. offend anyone. Yeah. And DirecTV, right? NFL Sunday Ticket, right? So yep. uh, I wanted to watch the Seahawks. I'm living in Chicago. And signing up for DirecTV your first year, was it was free. I'm like, great. NFL Sunday Ticket. That's awesome. Well, there's only one email address I use for signing stuff up right yeah and of course they pepper me with marketing all throughout my subscription subscription the next year rolls by and i get an email that says hey directory tv sunday ticket get it for free and of course i'm like sweet i click the button and they wouldn't give it to me so i get on the phone 30 minutes later i said if if i'm not eligible for it as a customer don't market to me telling me i'm eligible for it right wow long story long wow. story short i got it for free for the next five years Took a little that's, bit of work, but that's either a genius reverse psychology move on their part, right? We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna email Stephen an offer and then tell him he can't have it when he calls in for it, right? So we're gonna really make him yeah. fight to convince us. Trust me, that goes over well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? Or that was a that was a blunder. No, that's I mean, you know, and there's other ones that I know. So I live in Florida. Uh, I'm assuming that somewhere in my online registry, they figured out that I'm a white guy in my 50, you know, and almost in my 50 living in Florida. So by every marketing and data analysis that they have, I should be into golf. Right. And I'm not, I mean, there's, there's one golf club in my house and it's, it's by my bedside table and it's in case I run out of ammunition. If a burglar breaks in, that's the only reason there's a golf club in my house. Right. Um, and seven iron. Uh, no, it's a, it's a, it's a driver. I like to get distance oh. when I, in those yeah, cases. Good, yeah. Good. I, I want the head to go clear across the street and land on the neighbor's lawn. Um, but they call me the, the, the com, it's not the Comcast, but the K it's, here. It's a different company, but the local cable company calls me on a boring, regular schedule to try to sell me the golf package because they're marketing that. And you would think after the 10th time I turned them down, they would go, let's try to sell them something else. Let's try to, like, let's put something else in front of an offer in front of them. Right. But I'm clearly on the golf list for some reason. So they just keep hammering away. And I think what, what happens is now I tend to tune them out. So even if they were going to put out a package that I would be super interested in, right. Um, let's say they're like, Oh, let's, let's pitch soccer, right. He or let's pitch him. You know, I, I happen to enjoy the British sense of humor. So there's a bunch of British TV comedy shows, comedy shows that I've ordered on pay-per-view. So they would know that I'm actually paying for these things, some kind of package that would give me the three English channels and a couple of European ones I'd probably sign up for, but they never pitch me that they call me and, you know, pitch me the golf package with boring regularity because I'm a white guy, almost 50 living in Florida. Right. So yes. clearly I must like golf. I mean, you know, must like golf, yeah. Yeah. And, and if you think about think today's environment that we are, where 
uh, we're more sensitive and probably rightly so to to stereotypes. Like, you know, so the golf package is a pretty harmless stereotype. But if they're doing that with other things, they could run, you know, run themselves into some pretty, um, you know, bad reactions of people saying, why are you why are you just, you know, assuming that this is what I'm interested in? Like, what do you you know? Um, well, we, we knew a guy whose last name, all three of us, well, actually, maybe not you, Corda, but Davis, you and I knew a guy whose last name was Lopez, but he didn't speak Spanish. Right. And he would talk to us about all the stuff that he was getting pitched on a regular basis, you know, and they would call him up and just start speaking Spanish to him on the phone because, you know, his last name was Lopez. It's like, okay, four generations ago, my dad was from, you know, the, the dad was from Spain. And so now because of that, you guys assume that I speak Spanish, right? Which is just, you know, I, I guess the math plays out for them in the long run, but it's still, I think, for, you know, laziness is what it demonstrates. Yeah. So. A lot of this for me, it just echoes the underlying fact that as a salesperson or as a marketer, you really need to pay attention and listen to your customer, right? If you're using drip campaigns through any of the what's called sales enablement platforms, right? The automated emails or the automated uh, in, uh, LinkedIn posts that go out or automated email LinkedIn uh, outreach. If you start one of those processes, and the customer responds one way or another and you're not paying attention and that prospect gets another email in that sequence that's now out of sequence because you talked to them and they said i'm not interested or because you were supposed to make a phone call in between and you didn't make your phone call and you get the email that says following up with the message i left last week um, those things are incredibly off-putting right it's yeah. inc incredibly off-putting and you're going to lose a prospect before you even have a chance to to get engaged with them um, Conversely, if you use those systems in such a method to complement your sales process, not replace your sales process, you actually make the phone calls in between, the, 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 the messages have enough context that actually makes sense to that, yes, they can help you work a lot smarter and a lot faster, gain efficiency, uh, and start to, to increase conversions. But you, you can't do it blind, and you can't do it if you're not paying attention. And uh, as a salesperson, You've got to work close with your manager or close with your marketing team to make sure that those systems are in place or you know how to utilize that system within your CRM so you're not out there pissing off a whole, a whole bunch of prospects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so again, it's not the sales enablement platform as much as it is how it's being used or misused, right? That's I mean, used. that's, that's, the, that's yeah. the dominant theme. Uh, of of where we're landing on on this conversation, um, and it's interesting because it's uh, part of me too is it's, it reflects incredible laziness. I mean, I am not a very technical person, and yet I can go into HubSpot or Salesforce and set up one of those call scenarios where it's going to send out an email every ten days or whatever it is, right, in the sequence of four, and I can make it so that if there's a response to any one of the emails, it stops email number, if they respond to email number two, number three never goes out, right? Uh, especially if number three is, hey, I've tried to reach you twice and you haven't responded to your point, Davis, right? And then you get another email. So you get that email number three and you're like, are you are you crazy? I'm like, I, I have responded, right? Now, I, I get some people are going to slip through the cracks. They're going to write back from a different email address. You know, the, we're not talking about those exceptions, but if you're consistently not managing that, and I wonder if a lot of companies are investing the right, um, you know, are investing wisely in people to be able to run that stuff for them who can think like salespeople and not just like data scientists, right? Um, yeah. Because because if they're just thinking like data scientists, 
well, we emailed Davis, they haven't followed up. And he said, you know, what are you guys talking about? Oh, that was a response. That counts as one in the response column going to show that email number three converts, you know, that much better. And it's like, well, no, because it's not the right response, right? So um, I think tying all those elements together is really important. Well, and you make a great point because that's a great, that's a process, a great process for sending emails or for making phone calls. It's not a great sales process. Right. And actually, that may be the way I present with ours because it's we're doing a great job, this this company I was talking about earlier, of getting emails out. A tremendous job. Yeah. And if that's if that's the measure, then we're doing great. But sure. we got to remember that there's people on the other end and we've got another process that drives that process. It's too easy to fall into the processes, processes of our of the tools we're using. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so you're, I, I think what I hear from that quarter, if I can try to rephrase it um, to make sure that I understood it is it, it, it's great that you're getting so many people on first base, but if a hundred percent of them are never making it to second base, at some point you got to ask yourself what the value was of getting all those people on first base. And yeah. even if that first base number goes down, if we're actually scoring runs as a result of that number going down, then you've got to look at the metric. You got to look at the full story of what your conversion metric is. Cause I, yeah. I think there's a lot of companies that are focused on quantity of leads and not quality of leads. And so then really what yeah. you're doing is frustrating your salespeople because you're flooding them with a whole bunch of crud that's not converting and they're, busy chasing themselves on that stuff. And I've been in that situation actually recently, as recently as last year, where I was working with a company and, you know, we had a system that was generating a ton of inbounds, but 99% of them were junk, right? And so then it was tying up all kinds of people. And a, a third of the volume or even a quarter of the volume at 50% junk would have been better than what we were getting at, you know, 99% junk, right? It would just, it just would have, would have resulted in more sales quicker. So um, are there, are there any other tools that you guys have either used or been on the receiving end of that fit into this outside of email and the calendar tool? I don't know if there's other stuff that you're, you know, that you've experienced that you look at. I mean, a lot of, a lot of my experience now is on LinkedIn because I, I find that's all how a lot of people are reaching out to me. Um, typically the first reach out is on LinkedIn and then they follow up with an email, uh, with the exception of all those spam bots that send stuff to the email on my website, right? They just, it automatically sends an email through the website tool. But, but yeah, I, I, I don't know if there's any, any other things you guys have been the victim of or on the receiving end of that you've seen people misuse like that. I, you know, I, I think LinkedIn's an interesting one. Um, obviously it's an incredibly popular mechanism from a social interaction on the business world to be able to connect with folks that you have a reasonable degree with know are the right prospect, either by title or by company or by, uh, you know, by uh, industry. Right. Mm -hmm. yep. uh, and, you know, I fall victim to this myself, you know, people will, will reach out to me and they'll give me, uh, they, they actually take the time to, to give me a reason why, they, why they're trying to connect. Like, Hey, I, I saw that you're in this industry. I'm trying to build my network with people like you or came across your profile. I think that, that it might be interesting to talk. Right. Um, and then they connect. And then the, the very next thing that, that I get is a marketing message that, again, is canned, that doesn't even speak to why they reached out in the first place. Um, or for me, when I use LinkedIn, um, uh, you know, I'll reach out to a, a professional that I have, you know, a desire to, to get in contact with, likely for a sales opportunity. I'll give them a message when I'm reaching out. So this is why I'm reaching out. Um, and once you're connected, when someone says, yes, I'll connect with you. A magical thing happens. You can go in and you can see their contact information. You can get their email. Most of them have their phone number, right? 
utilize that stuff. Now, all of a sudden, I can give someone a message on, on LinkedIn. I can follow up with that. I can send them an email, email and say, hey, thanks for connecting. As I mentioned, this is exactly why I reached out. Would love to connect with you. Here's my phone number. Here's my, my email if that's easier for you. I'll try giving you a call next week. I try and tell them my sequence for reaching out, right? Yep. Yep. Um, and the big thing with that is a salesperson, follow up with that. Don't get reliant on one channel. Don't get stuck into LinkedIn and then I'm just going to send someone a message again and again and again. It's same thing. It turns into spam. Break that cycle. Do a little bit of everything in that case. And, and if the prospect's interested uh, and if you have a compelling story, a compelling 30-second commercial, you can connect those two things, you'll progress the sales process. And if not, it's going to be the exact same exact same issue. Yeah. I see a lot of false flagging being done on LinkedIn. A lot of people will send me a LinkedIn request and it'll say, hey, I just I just want to share networks. You seem to have a great network. It seems to make sense for two of us to network, which if we know people in common and you're in the right industry, I'm going to be open to connecting with that. But then if less yeah. than 12 hours after I accept that request, you send me a, a blatant, you know, scripted, automated sales pitch with a Calendly link at the bottom trying to get me to schedule a demo, that, that feels like bait and switch, right? And the other one that's the bait and switch is the the false where they go the opposite direction where it's the false friendly stuff where it's like, Hey, I noticed we both know these people in common and you can literally, and I've had companies pitch me that you say, Hey, we could get you, you know, we could get you 500 appointments a week. I'm like, you could get me 500 crap appointments a week. I'd rather you get me five appointments a week that are quality, but that's not what you guys do. You guys are just going to take everybody who's got this title, right? Or these, these qualifiers through LinkedIn, you're going to blast that whole list. That whole list isn't appropriate for me. That whole list isn't necessarily in pain, right? And okay, so I can send them a mass marketing message, right? But at that point, I'd rather say, hey, I just started to say, I mean, I I can go through my linked list of contacts, you know, that are two degrees removed that all have the right title and send them all a note saying, hey, I just start, you know, I started a sales podcast this year, would love your feedback on it. Here's a link. Here's a couple of episodes. And then if they respond, those that respond, hey, thank you. That was great. Whatever. From that, I could actually try to connect with them. And then I could, you know, work my way through, through, through those things. Right. But the false flagging, the bait and switch on LinkedIn, it's, it's, and, and, you know, apologies to anybody who works in that business, but realistically speaking, you've earned the reputation because of it. it starts to all feel like the old Amway pitches. Guy walks up to me, you know, I, I was in Bellevue once, uh, Davis, at the wine, at one of the wine stores. And this guy came up to me and he asked for my advice on wine, right? And he was like, hey, I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. And I'm like, okay, well, so what are you having? And we talk about wine for a couple minutes. And I, I told him this is, you know, I, this is what I like, but, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and then like immediately he's like, well, you seem like a pretty smart guy, you know, boom. And it's like, I, I'm in an Amway pitch all of a sudden sitting in the wine aisle, right. At the, at, at a wine store in Bellevue. It's like, dude, come on, man. Like, and, and, you know, just be honest, right. Be honest about why you're approaching people, this false flag of pretending that you're, you know, it's yeah. it just gets, interested in wine. Yeah. No, it, it just in, gets, yeah. it just gets real. It's really annoying. And if I might've been interested in the past, we're already starting on a negative footing. Cause I feel like you had to deceive me to engage in the conversation. Right. I, I'm, I, 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 it's one of those things that makes me able to, I think I, I relate to how some women must feel about being approached on bars with a whole bunch of people that are pretending to be their friend, but are very in, obvious about what their actual intent is. Right. It's like, that's like, 
that same sleaziness feeling kind of comes out, right? Which is this is skeevy. You're just like, this is really skeevy. You're, you're not trying to help, right? You want to be a helpful person, be a helpful person. And then the karma that comes from that, and occasionally you're going to run into somebody, it's going to make sense to have a conversation outside of that. But that's your whole methodology is the bait and switch. And that's my problem with LinkedIn right now. And that's what will ruin it. It's a great platform, but it will go downhill if, if people don't stop doing that because you've, people will just to serve away from it, right? You've got to serve others versus serving yourself. You've yeah. got to, I go back to our, our, I think a common understanding on sales, you have to be solving problems. And if you if you don't have a potential problem that you can solve, there's not a fit. There's not an opportunity. That doesn't mean right. no for the long time. It means no for now, right? Yep. And and if you hold true to that and you're not trying to, to look at every single person as a genuine prospect. And, and, and if you're, if you're, if you have the discipline to only, prospect and get engaged with folks where there's a true fit, a true problem, a true solution that you can bring to the table, you're going to separate yourself from everyone else. You don't yeah. fall into the, the, the bucket of, of, of quotes of salespeople that are, you know, sleazy or annoying or just, you know, problematic. Yeah. You're going to uh, you'll fall into the bucket of people that are, are solution providers that are helpful. Absolutely. In the interest, in the interest of honesty, uh, Davis, Julian said he was in Bellevue once. He was not in Bellevue twice because the police had a sketch of him after that. It's <laughs> <laughs> probably true. That is now, not, Julian, you, I, was at, I was in Bellevue a number of times because I was the Bellevue rep for the East Side Journal when you and I first met. Uh, oh, that's you right. know, that's a blatant oh. lie right there. You know I was I in Bellevue. What's... Now, the restraining order is absolutely true, but I was still in yeah. Bellevue on a regular basis, right? So. Now, in your defense, you did think LOL meant lots of love. So right. that does explain a lot of that, the restraint. That created some awkward moments when, yeah, when I would tell people, hey, I'm, you know, I'm really sorry your sister died. LOL. You know, that, uh, yeah, that that that, 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 that came across wrong on a number of occasions. Yeah. So, no, um, go ahead, Corda. You were going to say something well, else. You read my mind earlier. I was thinking we've, we've discussed the problem. We've talked solution a little bit. But I was going to ask you, and you jump right to it. Give us some examples of how, like, use this, use the podcast. How do you get the podcast out there? Because that's, you're using, you might be using a lot of these same tools. And I was just interested in using that as an example. And you jumped right into it. So yeah. LinkedIn is one way. How else do you get people interested in? I mean, because you're looking for a specific audience. And you're looking I, for I am, I am. But the podcast also it. serves a specific purpose. So I look at, you know, I get a lot of offers for people who want to promote, you know, my website a ton, right? They're like, hey, we can get 5,000 visitors a month to SalesFix. Now, there's no interest in that for me. And, 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 and there's also very little interest for me on Google AdWords and that kind of stuff, right? Because if a VP of sales is Googling sales training, I can tell you already, I probably don't want to work with that person, right? That's, that's somebody that's just looking for a check the box. I want to, you know, the, the SVP or the CEO asked me to put some sales training. I just want to throw something. They're not going to like my price because I'm not going to be you know, comparable to the cheapest stuff that's out there. Uh, I'm going to ask a lot of questions. They're going to make them uncomfortable. And um, the reality, and I steal this line from the horse whisperer when the woman calls the horse whisperer and says, I hear you help people with horse problems. And he answers, actually, I help horse with people, horses with people problems. And, you know, when, when people reach out to me and say, I hear you help, you know, management with sales problems, it's like, typically I help 
you know, the salespeople with sales management problems, if I'm honest, right? That's really typically where the work is done. So the first piece in understanding how I promote the, the podcast or the blog is what's the purpose of it? And for me, the purpose of it is that once somebody is talking to me, anything that helps establish my credibility above and beyond what they currently is. So it's like, well, we don't know you, but Davis said that you're great to work with. Great. That's one reference point, right? So that's awesome. So then they go on LinkedIn and they see, oh, he's worked with these other large companies that's cool too, right? So now I got multiple reference points and maybe they see the recommendations that I have on LinkedIn. That's awesome. And then they see, oh, he publishes a blog once a week. Oh, he has a website and the website up there has some cool stuff and some good information and a blog that's there. And look at that. He actually produces and is in a podcast about sales. Well, all of those things, right? give me additional credibility as less of a chance that I'm a fly-by-night shyster that's going to rip them off and not actually do right anything that they actually need because none of those things would would be true. So um, so really what I'm looking for in, their, in those cases, I'm looking at to expanding and pinging out my network. So initially when I launched the podcast, I had you know five listeners on the first couple of episodes. And the first one that you and I guys did, I think we had 20 downloads the first week, right? And I, probably four of them were my mom because she kept deleting it off of her <laughs> phone and having to re-download it again, right? So um, so what, what are we actually talking about? So what I did as an outreach is I reached out to all the people that I worked with, not with, hey, I got a podcast, you should listen. I reached out to a whole series of people in my direct sales network, salespeople and sales managers and sales VPs. And the messaging was, how are you? What's going on? What's new with you? Just wanted to touch base because I already had an existing relationship, right? And so then they would they would give me the update on where they were, which is a great touch point and useful information anyway. And then typically they would turn around and say, what's going on with you, right? And the timing of it was also pretty good in the sense that it was right after the whole COVID thing broke up because what gave me the time to actually figure out podcasting and the software and how to upload stuff online was the fact that I stopped traveling 100% in March of last year, right? So, which is when this podcast was launched, we're coming up on, on about a year out there. And uh, at that point, you know, when they say, what's going on with you, you know, you give them the update. Well, I'm, I'm, you know, my travel's down, but I'm working with these two companies. And oh, by the way, I started a podcast. I got a couple episodes out there. Would love your feedback if you have, if you have some, right? And immediately there was a spike in the number of people that, you know, that, 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 uh, that, then, then the other technique, very sneaky of me, then the other technique was, and I, I'll, I'll admit it because they knew when they were coming on, uh, I looked at people who had large followings and value added ideas that they could bring to the podcast. And I asked them to come on to the podcast, right? Because A, I want to provide value. And if they were valuable to me as a sales professional, then they're going to be valuable to other sales professional, right? And so these are people like uh, Darren Schwartz is a good example, right? Because of, uh, uh, of the things that he's done and the following that he has. Uh, Jennifer Foss, who is uh, somebody that I turn to for all matters that relate to recruiting and interviewing and job placement. She's an expert in that subject and brought her on and, and so on and so forth. There was a bunch of other people that I brought on and then I would post on LinkedIn, hey, here's my new guest and tag them on it. And so of course they would say, hey, I was just on this podcast and that would increase the following of the podcast, right? But again, the purpose of the podcast, I on some level, I don't care if there's 3,000 loyal listeners or 100,000 loyal listeners because what I don't think is going to happen, I don't think anybody's going to listen to the podcast and go, you know what? I don't know who this Julian Recasine guy is, but based on what I heard on this podcast, I'm going to call him and hire him. I, I can almost guarantee you that's not going to happen, right? Um, but when I get an email from a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy who knows me who says, hey, 
my friend Bob's shared episode number 16 where you talk to this person and that person was really useful and I just closed a big account. Wanted to re- I'm like, okay, that's great. That adds credibility, right? So now other people around Bob potentially get exposed to that. And if they get to the point where they're looking at uh, hiring a sales trainer, which is typically, you know, I look for people that have already determined that they need some kind of sales training help. That's my sweet spot versus having to convince them to do that. Companies have already isolated the problem and are starting to line up budget towards it. That's a perfect sweet spot for me. Um, if they're looking at me and three other people and I have a podcast and the other two don't, that's that's going to be an edge that I get, right? So it's an established, it's also understanding what the mission of it is, if that answers the question you were asking, Gorda. Sure. Yeah. yeah. No, it's great. Yeah. Um, and, and same thing, same thing with a blog. It's just credibility. You go, you go online. I mean, I'm talking to a company right now that I might be doing some work for this year. And, uh, you know, one of the guys I talked to said, Oh my God, I like went and looked at your website. You got like over a hundred, you know, blog posts. It's like, yeah. So this isn't a hobby in the sense of I do sales when I'm not busy cooking. It's, it's, Hey, this is, this is my passion and this is what I'm interested in doing. And I think, you know, and that, that's part of creating your brand online, right? Which Davis, I know you and I have had conversations on that subject a number of times. So. Yeah. I I think, you know, my, my response to that question, uh, there's no silver bullet. You, You can't just turn on one of these platforms and expect a bevy of prospects to engage with you or say yes or whatever. You have to put in the work. You have to leverage multiple systems, multiple tactics to reach people in the way that they need to be reached. Mm. You have to connect with them in a manner in which is meaningful for that individual, not meaningful for you. Um, And if you're reliant on one system uh, or one gimmick that somebody found worked for them, uh, that's not going to work for you. You have to put in the work at all levels and you have to be consistent with it. There's, there's not a silver bullet, uh, despite, I think, what a lot of these systems promise. To not pigeonhole yourself, as you were saying earlier, into yeah. one methodology, right? Reach out across three methodologies. Yeah, I think also different methodologies are going to attract different kinds of clients. And I think the other myth that gets circulated out there a lot is that all prospects are equal in value in sales. And that's not true. There are some prospects that have much greater potential value, even if it's not financial value, they have much better, you know, better referral value and all the other values that come to it. Like not all prospects are created equal. Right. And and you can spend a lot of time with a lot of low margin prospects from a financial perspective, but you can also send, you know, um, difficult people, right? Close-minded people. They're going to be much more difficult to get them to work with something. Uh, again, last year working with one company had possibly one of the best product ideas that I've ever seen. And their target audience was incredibly resistant to the idea, right? Because it was a paradigm shift. It was, you've always done things this way. And, and it's like last year should have been the year where everybody should have embraced paradigm shift. Right. We all got yeah. told to stay home for two months at the very least. I mean, you <laughs> would think everybody would go, oh, OK, great. We got to. And there was still a lot of resistance to change last year. Well, well we've always done it this way. Like, OK, have we always had a worldwide pandemic that shut down? You know, I mean, and on a local level, I would hear that, at you know, in early 2019. But we've never done that here. OK, we just our whole town just got wiped out by a category five hurricane. So I think we could say, like, the fact that something is not applied in the past, we, there's a new reality and we've got to embrace that reality and our tools have got to adjust with it. Corda, you're on the receiving end of probably more sales pitches in your role right now than um, either Davis or I. Maybe I'm speaking incorrect, but I think you're on the receiving end because of the role that you're in right now professionally. 
Um, what are the methodologies that people use that get through to you? Um, you know, is it LinkedIn? Is it email? Is it a call? Like, you know, what 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 stands out as you know the things that you're more responsive to or less have less of a predetermined programmed response to based on how 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 the message is coming across? It's funny because the there's so much of this sort of digital abuse or digital bad ideas, the analog. I'm more likely to just pick up a phone call at this point. And then, you know, you better perform on that call. Right. Or, or you get, but it's because of the way our phone system is set up, it, a lot of times they're just directed to my extension and away they go. And you, I used to just kind of think, you know what, if you don't have my cell phone, we're probably not doing business and you haven't taken the steps to get here. But after months of just being battered by the, hey, somebody adds you on LinkedIn, it's a great, co- now you get the sponsored content. I mean, or or the sponsored content without saying sponsored content, or you get the emails. And I, I it is a, it's a particular, it's a particularly petty, malicious um, enjoyment of mine. I have a, a certain kind of glee at watching lists of emails going because I still receive the email of my predecessor still goes it gets linked yeah, to it gets me. forwarded to you yeah watching people go through the entire process with that person's name and I'm going you know let's say that they are their name is Alex and I'm going well I if I were Alex I would respond but I'm not <laughs> this is yeah. you are certainly killing it in this no it's the the things that work are just genuine human interaction if you make a call i pick it up and you you know you you qualify for time you respect my time it's something that we're looking for you know and you know the the uh, not long ago i told you i, I got picked in i got uh I, I went for the sort of the the breakup email you know yeah. it was one of those a lot of times where it's things where uh, I, i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do this right now i'm busy though so i'm gonna get to it later and then they finally just said well clearly there's no interest so we're gonna stop bothering you Bang! Now I was chasing them for three more emails. Yeah, I can see I interrupted you though. Go ahead. No, no, no. That was that was a question I was asking. I what the, one of the thoughts that came into my head as you were talking about that is how often sometimes even the misguided premises, right? So, and big tech is super intrusive. I think people are waking up this year to how intrusive big tech is. We we talked about it I think the last time briefly, but the the social agenda movie on 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 Netflix is like oh my god, right? I mean, don't don't watch it last thing before you try to go to bed. Cause you won't, you won't sleep very well. Like I'm, it's just, it's that, you know, uh, it's that shocking and scary, but I, I look at things like, okay, I'll be surfing a social media site. And because, so here's an example, my wife for Christmas from one of our neighbors got a nice, um, I don't know what you call them cake stand. I think, you know, those things that have the glass cover that are sitting on the counter at diners and the, there's a cake sitting or oh, yeah. pie sitting in it. Right. So she got one of those as a, as a Christmas present from one of the neighbors, really nice gift. It was, it was a very nice gift. I broke it. Right. I, I wasn't paying attention. I moved something. I knocked it oh, on. Okay. Right. So, so now I'm like, okay, well I'm going to replace this for her. Right. So I, I go through the searching online because, you know, my wife has very specific tastes and the neighbor knew them, right? So I got to match the glass. The dome's got to be glass. The bottom's got to be white. I, I you know, was looking. It's got to be the right size, the right height, the whole thing. So I'm surfing through, I don't know, I probably surfed through 15 or 20 websites, you know, um, Amazon, Wayfair, all these other companies that I went look to try to figure out, like, who's carrying what, you know, what quality is it? Is it made in China or made in the U.S.? Is it, you know, is it rickety or is it actually strong? Read some of the reviews, whatever. 
Okay. That's a very specific product to search for. So the chances that I would search for that and not buy it are pretty low, right? If you're searching for socks, you might not buy socks right now. But if you're searching for something like that, especially if you're searching to the extent that I did, right? So I searched for it. I bought it. I found one website, went, you know, okay, look, and I showed it to her. Is that cool? It's not exactly the same site. Yep. No, that's perfect. Awesome. Ordered that one. It's getting shipped on the way here. Well, the next two days, every social media site, everything I served has got ads for, for cake stands like in the, now I am the least likely I have ever been in my entire life to buy a cake stand now, two days after I just bought one than I have ever been at any of the point in my life. Even if I didn't know what cake stands were three months ago, if you'd shown me an ad, I might've gone, that's a cool gift idea. That's a cool gift idea for my wife. I should get one of those, right? There was a chance you can get me as a consumer, but obviously the algorithm that they're using to serve me the ads is just, well, he searched for this. So that makes him a viable customer. Well, in this case, not only it's not true, the opposite is true. Right. So now it's like now you're wasting these ad impressions on somebody who's clearly not going to buy it. If they'd had a way to know that I concluded or didn't conclude the transaction. I love those websites where you walk away from their basket. And if you guys have experienced this, I experienced this a couple of times and they send you a note and say, hey, we're not sure if you walked away on purpose, but you still have these three items. In the next 12 hours, they'll be in the basket if you still want to buy them in one fell swoop. If not, you don't need to do anything. I love that because there's been times like, oh, yeah, I got distracted. I go back and finish the order. That's a home run, right? But assuming that because I looked at socks or I looked at a cake stand, now I'm automatically a cake stand buyer. How long, how long am I going to see cake stand ads You know, in, in, my, in my social media feed is really I'm one more. Because if in three months I'm still seeing them, they're wasting all that money on their marketing, right? So they're trying to think smart and they're doing the opposite of it because their basic premises for understanding what I'm looking for are not correct. No different from email outreach. Listen to your customer. Give them the opportunity to provide feedback loops for you and make it easy for them to do so, right? Yeah. I, 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 for one, and I'm too close to the advertising industry, I love when I when I get an ad and I engage with the ad and whether I go to Amazon or another site to, to look at that product or service, I love that I get another ad about that I, because if I'm interested in it, I want to be re-exposed to it. I want to learn more about that product or other products that are similar. Yeah. Um, but when I'm done, when I've made that purchase, stop sending those ads to me. When I've told you that I'm no longer interested in the email, stop sending those emails to right. me. Um, and there's there's tools and resources that you can do that, or there's ways that you can make it really easy for those consumers. Otherwise, again, you you, you just again you're you're getting to the same situation. This yeah. Before. No, I mean, look, I bought survival food after the hurricane because I was like, you know what? If we'd yeah. been stuck at home, I wouldn't have had an ability. So I need at least 30 days of freeze dried food or of dried food in the house, so that if we can't go anywhere, even with a Bunsen burner, I can make us hot meals, right? So I bought it off of one website. Now they're emailing me constantly, and it's like. I just bought a 30-day supply, um, and it lasts 25 years. Like, are there is there anything else you could be pushing on me? And if you showed me other products, oh, by the way, we got these little energy packets or these other things that they could sell me, or even if they could work with some of their partners to say, hey, people who buy this, remember that Amazon had that feature for a while, but it was horrible, right? It was like people who yeah. bought this also bought underwear. Right? The first five things I bought, I was working at Amazon at the time after they launched that feature. Like the first five things I bought, they're like, you probably also would like underwear. I'm like, I bought like swimming goggles. Like, why do you think I also need underwear? Like, I'm the, 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 but then the algorithm kind of caught up and they had enough data that it was like, oh, you're actually making intelligent suggestions. So, so it's better. Right. But I, I just think the, um, again, the use of those tools and it's also kind of intrusive. I think most people I talk to go, you know what? I looked at one website and searched one thing. 
And now I'm getting these suggestive ads all over and that actually turns them off. So, I, you know, there's also how technology matures over a certain period of time, how the tool matures and assuming that your audience is going to react the same way to it now as they did. You know, I, I change the language on a lot of my sales process stuff on a regular basis, because if you always say it the same way, at some point people realize it sounds scripted because you're saying it that way. And people realize, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. Right. So it, yeah, you have to kind of get original with it in terms of the tools. And you need to bring some analog common sense to the digital world because the digital world becomes its own self-perpetuating yep. data points. It's like if you just ate a 20-ounce porterhouse and the waiter comes around, takes your tray, takes your busboy, takes your plate, waiter comes around and says, I see you just enjoyed a 20-ounce porterhouse. Could I interest you in a 20-ounce porterhouse? <laughs> no. <laughs> I have been satiated and I'm full. Yeah. But we keep doing that with yep. the with these uh, with these digital opportunities and it there's ways that you can make it make sense yeah i agree i think if they put some more thought into the the algorithms or whatever they're called they could have them make a lot more sense um and i think that tool is misused as well but again i mean um yeah i dealt you know with a large manufacturer of copiers and uh, office equipment uh in 2019 and that when we reviewed some of their messaging it was just terrible right it wasn't it, I mean, it was just, hey, we've launched these new product features, but not a sense of tying it to any kind of problem. Davis, you you know, can you solve a problem? It always comes back to that, right? What you were saying. Yeah. It's like, hey, a lot of people who have bought this machine are running into one of these two issues based on having it work with their other machines. If you're running into this issue, click here and we'll give you three easy tips on how to work through the problem. And then the people who click there have identified themselves as being – so then there could be like, hey, would you like updates on this subject? Sign up here, right? You could really kind of just sort that, but most people are just too lazy to set that up, right? And the bigger the ticket item is, so that's not as much of a factor for, say, a cake stand – but when you're selling, you know, office equipment and office software that costs in the thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars in certain cases, like a little investment to think clearly on those tools. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think we hit it on the I, I think we addressed what, you know, what I wanted to address on this on this discussion, though, was, you know, the idea that it's not the tools. It's how you use them that really dictates their efficiency and whether they're good or bad. Right. The tool itself is just an inanimate object like a hammer. Works great if you swing it as a hammer. Works horrible if you try to saw wood with it, right? But you can't blame the hammer. The hammer is just being a hammer. So, no silver bullet. Yeah. And and what the what the customer needs. Before coming in, I just read this great quote that said that nobody ever wanted, nobody ever bought nobody a quarter inch drill bit because they wanted a quarter inch drill bit. Right. They wanted a quarter inch hole. Hole. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's absolutely true. Davis, you, I mean, you just said it again. No silver bullet. But yeah. what I'm hearing with you saying that is that a lot of companies find one thing and then they just laser lock on that and they say, this is the end all be all. We're not doing anything else at that point, right? Um, am I expanding or, that concept correctly? Yeah, I, I don't know if it's always the company. I, I yeah. think sometimes it's misguided salespeople, right? Company says, hey, here's this new tool. So as a salesperson, great, I click a button, all my emails are sent. Now I can kick back and wait for my phone to ring. Yeah. Right. Or let, let me finish my pipeline. I don't need to worry about prospecting because I've got this email thing that's going to do all the prospecting for me. Yeah. I just closed this deal. I've got that endorphin rush. I'm excited about it. My pipeline's going to get built for this because of this email thing. And a week or two or three or four weeks later, all of a sudden, you've got no pipeline because you've, you've given up on the work. You thought yeah. the email was going to do everything for you. Yeah. Or you thought that, that sending out the Calendly link would do everything. Would for do you. everything it's, for you. Yeah, great. it's interesting that yeah. the last company that all three of us worked at, 
Um, I, I obviously, as you guys know, was the ROI guy in the building, right? I was obsessed with the ROI thing. Um, they would, I think at some point they were scheduling ROI trainings when I was in town, because if they didn't schedule the training, I would teach it to the homeless people underneath the bridge on the way back and forth <laughs> to my hotel, right? Um, talk about like serving, not the end client. But I actually got so obsessed with it at some point because it was so good. It was so compelling. I got so obsessed with it for a while that there was never a sales pitch without an ROI going on. There was never a sales meeting without an ROI. Now, there was occasionally a few ROI demos without a sales meeting occurring, right? Where that's all I would do. And I had to catch myself and go, you know what? This is a great tool and it's fantastic. But to the client who's got image concerns and not financial concerns, it's worthless. It's just not the applicable tool to that situation. And the fact that I can show them a 25 to 1 ROI or 50 to 1 ROI doesn't matter if they can't get over this particular hurdle that they're facing. Right? Or if I don't need it. Or if you right? don't need it. Sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Sure. But that I don't understand. What do you mean? They always need what we're selling. That's what 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 do you what do you what kind of weird concept are you postulating that there would be a client that wouldn't need my product, exactly. Davis? That's impossible, right? Yeah. Yeah, the uh, and that's that's falling in love with ourselves as salespeople, right? Uh, falling in love with ourselves yeah. and, and our sales products. So, good. Awesome. Well, thank you guys. That was a a, a good hash out of that uh, uh, of that of that concept. Any parting thoughts? Yeah. My please. my parting thought would be as a sales professional, Leverage the tools and resources that you have at your disposal. Get to know them, but don't rely on them. It's got to complement your work. It's got to complement your process. It can't be just one thing, one tool, one system that either your managers introduced, your company's introduced, or a friend of yours has had a lot of success, success with. Um, you've got to find a way to adapt and adopt to make it yours and to, to leverage it in an entire process, not as a standalone system. Nice. Gorda. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I would just say, remember your goal. Remember your goal and don't do anything digitally or over the phone or through LinkedIn that you wouldn't do person to person. Mm. The person was in front of you or if you were checking in on them in real life, as you, used, as you might say. Yeah, it's a good don't, thought. Don't don't lose the humanity just because you're using technology. Don't use the human logic. Don't lose the human logic and the human compassion element. Yeah, I love that concept. Yeah, yeah. that's a great that's a that's a great concept. All right, thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate it. You've been listening to the Sales Fix podcast. For more sales tactics and tips, visit the blog section at salesfix.com. That's salesfix with two X's. We're on Twitter at salesfix. Facebook, and LinkedIn. If you'd like help training your sales team, email us at info at salesfix.com. 